I've been, I've been inspired by my wife this week. I mean, I'm inspired by my wife in many ways. If you know her, she's a very inspirational woman, an artist, a creative, a teacher. I've been inspired by her particularly as a teacher, uh, and I've gone full teacher mode this week, and I have slides. There's going to be slides on the screen. Can you believe it? <laughs> Actually, I think I need some oohs and ahs, all right? So I've got slides. Ooh, very, very good. And you get homework. Ah, <laughs> maybe that's more of an ah, right? <laughs> but it's not for marks. Don't worry. Um, so you can do what you like with that. But the slides, they're actually a quiz. Maybe we can call it a celebration of knowledge. I hear that's what teachers do these days. They don't call it a test. They call it a celebration of knowledge. Um, <laughs> and see how we all feel about that. Um, what's going to be up on the screen is some pictures. And there's going to be artwork. Not yet. I'll tell you when, Mike. Um, Michael, there's going to be artwork up on the screen. And you get, to, you get to tell me what the piece of art is and who, who did it. So these are, you know... The, they start off very, very famous. They become more obscure as we go through, okay? So I, we're going to put the first one uh, up on the screen here, see if we can see it. Does anyone know what this is? The Last Supper by Da Vinci. Yeah, oh, we've got artists in the room. This is going to be good. <laughs> the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. That's very good. This is, a, this is like one, probably the most famous painting of Jesus that exists, right? Um, and uh, this has been a blessing to the church. It invites us into this story of the Last Supper. You can, if you'd spend the time and study this painting, there's so much depth to be mined there. This is a, a great resource for us to stop, to, to look at, for the church to, to remember this story in a way that's visual, right? A, a way that speaks to our hearts maybe even more than just reading the text. Okay, we go on to the next one. This one's a little less famous, but still pretty famous. Does anyone know which one this is? It's, it's, the, it's not the ascension, it's close though. It's the Transfiguration. It's by Raphael, another very, very famous painter. When I Googled most famous paintings of Jesus, this was on the top list. I didn't know it, but, but, but it was up there. So we have, this is the ascension. Another one, right? Like there's, there's theological depth to this. There's, there's a whole bunch, like, you know, the ways that the people are responding, you know, and we see um, like Moses and like the people who came, right, along with him at the story of the, of the transfiguration up on, so that's that story, this Bible story, there's a lot we can learn from that, that's a gift to the church, right? Okay, the next one, this one I would recognize, um, this one's a sculpture, anyone know the name of this? This is the very first ringed cross that was ever sculpted, you know, crosses often have that ring around them, like we think it represents the halo, it's actually because the arms were so heavy that they would break, that's why they did it at first, and then the theology came after. <laughs> Um, but that is St. John's cross. That's the very first ringed cross that was ever made. And the artwork in it, this is like, it was sculpted in about the year 600. And it's a, actually a part of our tradition even of pilgrimage. People in like Western Europe would pilgrimage to St. John's cross. And there were prayers that they would do along the way. And it was a part of their spiritual journey. And it was a real gift to the church in discipleship. That they would go on these journeys. And you see like, we can't really see it clearly. But like at the bottom, there's this beautiful artwork of like a snake. And it's like God's, uh, Jesus's dominion over, over death, right? And then there's a picture partway up of, of Mary and talking about his birth and the, and the miraculous um, you know, circumstances surrounding his birth. And all these things, all this is baked into this sculpture that was a gift to the church over the years. And it actually inspired other pieces of artwork. So if we go to the next one, does anyone recognize this? It's pretty distinctive. I picked the, one of the most famous ones. This is, uh, you could find it in a library in Dublin. This is called the Book of Kells. 
This is one of our earliest copies of this type of a book. This was actually used in the worship of the people. These are beautifully illustrated copies of the New Testament. So they have the Gospels and stories of the New Testament, and they are illustrated in this way. And then they were used in the worship and liturgy of the church. And uh, some of the artwork from St. John's Cross actually made it into the Book of Kells. So the Book of Kells is like the year 700. The St. John's Cross was like the year 600. Uh, and it influenced Christianity in that place to the point that the artwork made it in here. And this was a gift to the church, right? This piece of art allowed people to enter more deeply. Even people who could come and perhaps look at it, who couldn't read, would be able to see the stories of the gospel and allow them to speak into their heart, would be invited into the beauty of who Jesus was through this wonderful artwork that we found in the book of Cows. I've actually seen this in person and St. John's Cross in person. That's why they're up. That's why I know them. <laughs> I got to see them. It's, and it's stunning. It's really staggering, this historic piece of, of our church's um, artwork and, and this beauty. Um, the next one is, uh, is another one that's up there because I've seen it. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's more modern, though. This is from like the 1960s. Does anyone know this one? Yes, Salvador Dali. This is uh, his, his piece of artwork called The uh, Christ of St. John of the Cross. You don't really think about Dali as like the melting clocks and kind of like really out their artwork, you didn't know perhaps that he also made a theological work like this. And there's a lot of very interesting things. So if you look closely, I, it, this painting is, like it's probably actually about that big, maybe a little bit bigger in person, it's enormous. And if you get up close to it, you realize there's nothing holding the hands of Christ on the cross. There's no nails, there's no, he's not bound. How is he staying up there? And he's looking downward. What's he looking at? And this is like actually, a, a, there's, you can see a little boat and there's a landscape, which is perhaps from some of the area where Dali grew up. And it's like he's gazing down upon creation, upon the people and the love that he has for them is holding him upon the cross, right? Isn't that beautiful? There's all of this theological depth. Even from a, an out there artist like Dali, there's things to be mined. There's things for us to learn. It's a gift to the church when people make art. For the church, art that tells us about who Jesus is, and it can form the way that we think and and dream about Jesus. The the last, I've got one more. You might recognize it. This is from a, a Canadian artist. Have you have you seen these sculptures before? Some shaking heads. No. So this is called uh, it's called Homeless Jesus. It's by a, a man named Timothy Schmalz. He's a, he's actually a Canadian artist. He's from Toronto. The very first installation of this went in in Toronto. It's out in public, it's on a bench outside of a church. There's this person lying on a bench. They look like a homeless person. But as you get closer, you can see the marks in his feet from the crucifixion. And you realize, oh, this is, this is supposed to be Jesus. And it's supposed to be a visual retelling, a visual retelling of the verse that says, what you've done to the least of these, you're doing to me, right? And it's really interesting. This one caused quite a stir when it came out. Um, there's, there's been a number of installations around, uh, around North America, at least. I think there's a couple in Europe that have happened since this first one was put in. And there's one story in particular I think is really funny where the installation went in in a Christian, you know, this heavily churched, you know, very Christian kind of neighborhood. And it was put in in, in this neighborhood, and somebody called the police on the homeless man that's on a bench like, oh, that she saw off in the distance only later to find out that she called the police on Jesus, <laughs> right? But that's the point of it. It's actually, this is a prophetic work, right? This is, this is a work that brings a critique to the people who would call the police on the homeless person on the bench. 
do you realize that you're calling the police on Jesus, right? Like that's the invitation to, to think a little bit more deeply. And oh my, is artwork like this a gift to the church, right? It helps us to, to think a little bit outside of the box, to think a little bit outside of ourselves or the ways that we have been thinking. It makes us, invites us into something of a, of a more depth, perhaps. You can, you can take the pictures down now. See, art has a way of doing this, though, right? Like a way of showing us truths, perhaps even getting, getting those ideas stuck in our heads in ways that simple words cannot. And it does, it does shape our imaginations, right? Like somewhat recently, there's been a lot of discussion around depictions of white Jesus, right? Like why in you know, 90% of the artwork out there of Jesus, is he a white dude? Because like obviously he wasn't actually a white person, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I read a series of articles this week by a missiologist named Michael Frost, and uh, he was writing about this phenomenon. And one of the things that he talked about, which which I appreciated, because there's a lot of like just angry <laughs> writing about this, which is justified. But uh, one of the things he brought up was actually there's a real beauty in the church's desire for representation, right? To see a Jesus who looks like right? To, to be able to acknowledge and see the humanness of Christ. And, uh, and in his article, he showed a number of amazing, beautiful depictions of Jesus from entirely different cultures. Um, there are a bunch of them. I'm going to show you a couple just because I think they're wonderful. Um, they've got another picture up on the screen here. Um, so this is a, a depiction of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. This is from uh, an unknown Ethiopian artist. And it shows to, you know, to, to people of Ethiopia, they see, okay, this is, this is the Jesus who came, who became like us, who came and, and who was a servant, right? Like it tells a story, it maybe lands in a very specific way for those people, right? Isn't that beautiful? I've got another one here. It's of the same story. This is Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but this one is by a Chinese watercolor artist by the name of Lou Honigan. Same scene. I love it. I think this is beautiful, just picturing that same story the exact same story, and it's almost like it's, it's translating it, right? Like this is a visual translation. We have like translate the Bible into different languages. Do we translate the Bible into different pictures? Here's a visual translation of the story of Jesus. What does that look like in this place, in this culture, in this time, right? I've got one more. This is just a beautiful uh, sacred heart um, iconography, piece of iconography um, with Jesus in a, from a Jamaican artist, which I thought was also super beautiful. Um, and it's, again, it's just this re-imaging, this translation of the, this picture of Jesus. And it stretches us, right? It stretches us, but it's, it's wonderful in the ways that it stretches us. And it speaks, these are all, all of these pieces of artwork are gifts to the church, right? Beautiful gifts to the church. So, um, like, we all know Jesus wasn't a white guy. <laughs> he also wasn't Jamaican. But it's beautiful seeing him rendered in a way that related to a specific people in a specific place, right? It's translated in a way that helps us to even, even uh, to see in even more beautiful ways this vision of his, like, this vision of his humanness, right? His physicality. This is a gift to the church. It's a gift to the world. And there are lots of other examples like this. It doesn't just need to be paintings or sculptures. Those are just the easiest to show you on the screen. Um, but uh, I think about how I've been blessed by TV shows or movies, things like The Chosen, right? I don't know if you've watched The Chosen. I've been deeply blessed by The Chosen and its depiction of Jesus and the stories of the disciples. 
Or think for a moment about how art has impacted the way that we worship, right? The beautiful, unifying force of music. Like, I, I can remember, I was blessed to sing in a, in a Christian mass choir. It was like 500 people. And we sang these gospel tunes, and we sang, remember we did this Latin chant, non nomis domine tuo the glorium, right? And um, it was powerful to be in this large group of people, unified with one voice, singing praises to our God. When we sing together on Sunday, something special happens, right? In the same way. And it isn't just in that moment of the Spirit's presence as we raise our worship together, it's also what we sing, right? It's the poetry of the words. Raven and I, we attended a church uh, for about a year, and one of the things that I noticed was that the people, as they would share, as they would preach, as you know, even just in conversation, talking about their faith, they would often quote lines, not just from the Bible, but also from hymns and songs, right? Have you ever done that? And these poetic works, right, this is poetry that's been a gift to the church. It has wormed its way into their hearts and their minds and has shaped the way that they think about who Jesus is. It's shaped the way that they think about the gospel, right? And it is beautiful. Unsurprisingly, our Lord Jesus, being an amazing teacher, also used something of an art in his teaching, right? He told stories, parables. He used narrative to make deep truths come alive to the people to whom he spoke. And we still lean on these stories. And they have also, to bring it full circle, they've been the inspiration for works of art as well. If you've ever read the book by Henry Nouwen, The Return of the Prodigal Son, um, it is a theological reflection on the Rembrandt painting, Return of the Prodigal. And it is brilliant. It's probably one of my favorite books. Highly recommend. <laughs> Here's the thing. Art often has the power to speak truths that go deeper than technical words can go. Right? If we want to speak about God, we actually need to use metaphor, right? Because he is so much bigger, vaster, more powerful, and more beautiful than we will ever be able to comprehend, let alone communicate, right? Because of this, our Bible makes liberal use of poetry, right? Like, think of the Psalms. That's like our thickest book in the Bible, and it is all poems and songs of God's people, right? Inviting us into worship, poems and songs for times of lament of mourning poems and songs from all different times of life so today's passage of scripture which mary read for us wonderfully earlier this passage of scripture is also a poem right it's a hymn of the early church and it is a work of art there's there's a whole bunch of debate over what makes it a poem which probably means it's a good poem i don't know like all the good ones everybody writes articles about and argues about. It's a whole bunch of debate over what makes it apart. Maybe it's the structure of the poem. Maybe it should be grouped thematically and understood that way. Maybe it's because it's a chiasm. So it's like there's a central line and then like stuff goes out, A, B, C, D, C, D, A, B, A, or whatever. Like all these sorts of things. Also, there's a whole bunch of discussion over whether Paul wrote this poem for this letter or if he was actually quoting a poem of the early church something that was already floating around within the community that told the story of Jesus in a way that spoke deeply to their hearts. I'm partial to that perspective, <laughs> if you're curious. 
When you start reading uh, about the texts in scholarly, about this particular text, this, we call it the Christ hymn, when we start reading about it in scholarly circles, it seems like the debates are almost unending. Right? I, I don't think that it would be an exaggeration to say that millions of words have been written on the intense and deep theology of this passage. It's been the center of controversy in the history of the church. What is the self-emptying of Jesus? What does that mean? There's this Greek word kenosis, and everybody goes crazy over it. It's a whole thing. There's like a heresy named after it. Great. Um, it sparked debates about the nature of the Trinity and how Jesus and the Godhead interact. All sorts of things. And all that stuff, very important, right? This matters. But I think that when we get into that nitty-gritty, we actually miss out on something. We start reading this passage as like a technical theological document, and then we stop being able to bear witness to the beauty and wonder and awe that this passage should evoke in our hearts. The way that this poem is a piece of art that is a gift to our churches. Yes? Lynn H. Kohik is a biblical scholar, and in her commentary on Philippians, this is what she says about today's passage. And she said, she, here's a quote, she says, it should take our breath away. It should take our breath away and cause us to wonder, ponder, imagine, and sing with the angels. And then she quotes the song out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. She says, we should sing with the angels. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen? That is our first response to this passage that beautifully tells the story of Jesus, that paints a picture for us of who he was and is, right? And the invitation to the people in the Philippian church was to find their story in that story, right? That's the, so it's this remembrance, this poetic remembrance that's going to get stuck in their head in a way that perhaps just a regular letter wouldn't to invite them into that wonder and awe and beauty of who Jesus was, of his story, right? So today, it's a little bit different. Rather than preaching a conventional sermon and explaining all of the theological nuance of the passage, what I would like to do is have us come to this poem as people ready to be inspired. So we're going we're to come to this poem with hearts and minds open to experience wonder and awe. And my hope today is to simply, all I'm going to do is going to lead us in a time of reflecting on the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the incarnation, that we could simply encounter that together and that it would stir our hearts. That's the only goal today. So, like Jesus, right? Like the, the idea of God who comes down, who is willing to take on human flesh and walk among us to live and die for our sake. This is staggering, right? It's, it's shocking. It's beautiful. And I think it's really possible that sometimes we allow ourselves to grow numb to this idea. We've heard it our whole lives, right? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're new to this. Maybe you're still sensitized to it in a way and you, you feel the beauty of it. But 
you're like me, I grew up in a church. I got told my whole life this story, and it's easy to forget how magnificent it really is. So let's stop. Let's stop and open our hearts again to consider with wonder and amazement the story of Jesus, yeah? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Mary read it wonderfully for us earlier. I am going to read this passage again. And if you want, you can close your eyes or keep your eyes open. Um, if, if you're like a doodler, like if you've got a notebook, you can doodle while that's happening. Um, draw something as you listen. I don't know what works best for you. But I'm going to read it slowly. And then let's together invite God to help us see the beauty that's before us. And then I'm going to read it again. The first time, it was just the text as it's written, right? I'm just going to read it exactly out of the NIV, how it's written. The second time, I'm going to extrapolate a little bit, okay? I'm going to, I have like a modern poetic kind of telling of the, of the passage. and pulls in some of the references that maybe you're not thinking of that are there that the people who are hearing at the time might have picked up on. Uh, so I'm going I'm to read that one. And after reading that, second time through, that, that kind of extrapolated version, I'm just going to give us some time to quietly think and reflect on who he is. And then I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'll invite the band to come up. And we're going to sing worship to our Lord together. And then right at the end, I'll assign your homework. Okay? Because <laughs> there is actually homework. That wasn't a joke. Um, <laughs> okay, well, before we start, let's, let's pray and invite Jesus to come and move in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we confess. We confess that sometimes this story, which is ever new, which is amazing and beautiful and wonderful, is something we can just get used to. That can grow stale. The story is not stale. This is a posture of our hearts, Lord. And so we confess it and we ask that you would come and bring healing to that that you would actually right now do this work of softening our hearts. Softening our hearts to see again with a renewed perspective the beauty of the story of your son who came, lived, and died for us. Who loved us so much that he was willing to endure the cross for us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to that. Lord, as we read this story, this beautiful poem, let it speak. Let it speak to the depths of our heart. Lord, I pray that it would get stuck in our heads. In the ways that these beautiful visual depictions of the stories of, of your people can get stuck in our head. God, I pray that this would get stuck in our head and in our hearts in such a way we can't get away from it and that it would change us, Jesus. That by your spirit, we would experience your transformation in response to bearing witness to the beauty of your Son. God, work in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. So I am inviting you today to reflect on Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not Consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's go back to the beginning. Before all creation, before time even began, the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Beautiful, perfect love. Love creates. It is good, 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 very good. <sighs> Let's go back to the beginning. A garden. Creation and creator walk together. Lives and works and delights in rhythms of days and nights. Together. You could be like God. Like Father, Spirit, and Son. Equality is something to be grasped. So, we considered equality with God something to be grasped. We saw and took and ate separate. Let's go back to new beginnings. A new Adam, actually deserving, did not consider equality something to be grasped where word from beginning became babbling baby, became servant, became nothing. Less than nothing when lifted up between heaven and earth as though fit for neither place. Dead. But in an upside-down kingdom, what goes down must come up. And he rose and rose and rose, ascending, reuniting, opening a way for us through death to the new beginning, new creation, new life. So all will see and sing and worship this King who was and is and is to come to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful story of your son who comes and makes a way for us. 
Let us not take it for granted. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And now as we respond in worship, let us fix our eyes on you. Let us bear witness to the good, to the beauty, to the wonder as we praise you together, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.